Welcome, everyone. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Friday, December 3rd. Here we are, the last month of the year. It is hard to believe, especially as you spend some time outdoors, even just getting to and from work or school, wherever you're going unseasonably warm temperatures hopefully that changes in the coming weeks at least in terms of some moisture sounds like there's some chance for that we will keep our fingers crossed we need every ounce of moisture we can get but other than that we hope you're having terrific week i am kevin mcdonald your host and executive producer here at new mexico pbs we hope you had some wonderful time with family and friends a little time off of work Uh, out of those other obligations, getting ready for the big push to the end of the year. And what a year it has been. I'm going to take a moment to mention uh, one of our favorite things we do each and every year coming up in just a matter of weeks now, and that's our countdown of the top 10 stories of the year. And this is going to be the toughest year yet, I think, just starting to look through the topics. But man, has it been an avalanche of news in 2021. Here's hoping to a much quieter 2022, especially in terms of COVID. Uh, I know if you are like me, you're ready to put this in the rear view mirror. All right, enough complaining for me. Let's jump into content from this week's show. The big news for next week will be the New Mexico legislature will jump into special session. We just got word yesterday that not only will they be focusing on redistricting, which we knew, but also spending some of the federal COVID relief funds now that the state Supreme Court ruled that the governor is wrong to exclude the legislature from those conversations. So no idea how long it will take to get all of the work done. No idea how the lawmakers will take the work done already on redistricting by the Citizen Commission that proposed maps that the lawmakers will vote on, although they can bring their own maps, make amendments. It's going to be a fascinating thing. We also know something that's going to be fascinating is the way the session will be run uh, for a couple reasons. First, we mentioned COVID earlier. It seems as those things are stabilizing a little bit, but we've got Omicron, that variant that's now been established here in the States and no doubt will make its way to New Mexico at some point in time. And cases are still uh, pretty high. And so you will have to show proof of vaccine to get into the roundhouse if you want to participate in person. In addition, you may remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there is now a weapons ban at the roundhouse, all but for police and um, military uh, folks who may be there at the roundhouse. And so want to know what all this means how the special session will play out, what the opportunities to participate virtually will be again this special session, and just how much of a delay, if you are going in person, you can expect. And uh, so we reached out to the communications director for the Senate Majority Leadership, uh, Chris Nordstrom, in a Facebook Live this week with Gene Grant, shared some of that interview on the show this week, but want to bring it to you here in its entirety. Uh, and uh, just a fascinating conversation. One of the big takeaways you'll hear from Chris is that because it's a special session uh, and a pretty narrowly focused special session, the crowds probably won't be as big, and so they are really looking at this 
and these changes in policies and procedures as a test run, if you will, for the regular session, which comes only a month after this one, uh, as we head into 2022. Again, a 30-day session in 2022. Imagine there'll still be a lot done virtually, but uh, you can attend in public, but lots to consider there. So let's jump right into it here now with host Gene Grant. Hey guys, welcome. It's Wednesday. It's noonish. It's time for a Facebook Live, and we also have a special session upcoming. As you know about, if you've followed New Mexico in Focus, low these Friday nights of late, you know about that. So we welcome Chris Nordstrom. He is the communications director for the Senate Democrats in Santa Fe, and we're getting ready again for a new era, Chris, in how we sort of accommodate the public's need to know with the legislators' need to get the job done in the middle of COVID. So let me ask you this right off the top. Uh, with COVID, cases are, of course, coming up around the state. The numbers are not that great. But the Capitol is staying open for the public, uh, but there's some new procedures. Could you brush us up on what those are? Certainly, yes. And as, as you said, Gene, um, you know, COVID is still very much with us. So mm -hmm. um, the, the goal for this session is to get the work done, but to do it in a way that keeps the public members and staff at the Roundhouse safe. <clears throat> so uh, the Legislative Council Service just recently announced that in order for the public to attend in person at the Roundhouse, a proof of vaccination will have to be shown upon entry. Mm -hmm. um, and I can go through the details of how that's going to work. But if, 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 if the public wants to come into the building, um, they have to be back, have to show proof of full vaccination. Uh, now, let me ask you a question. When you say full vaccination, does that include a booster? Um, I believe uh, as long as you, you know, the, they're, they're saying for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, you know, six months really is the time for, for efficacy. And then beyond that six months is when the booster is recommended. So I believe as long as it's been within the previous six months, I'll have to verify that, but okay. that, that would be considered full, full vaccination, but they will look to see if people have boosters if, if they're needed by then. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, lawmakers, are they required to be vaccinated as well? They actually can't. And that's, a, that's a, actually a constitutional issue. Um, legislative council service cannot mandate that legislate, legislators um, get the vaccine um, they're considered constitutional law officers and they're outside of the purview, but obviously it is highly encouraged that legislators too are vaccinated and boosted when, when they can be. Mm -hmm. Last time around, there was a pretty good round of social distancing and masking in the legislature. Are we to expect that again as well for lawmakers? Uh, <clears throat> masking, definitely. Um, it's masking will still be required throughout the building. Um, and as far as social distancing, I think you know the 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 barricades and the chambers are 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 still up. The plexiglass, um, you know, I don't ex you know. Fortunately, the roundhouse is a pretty good sized building, and so I don't I don't necessarily think that it's going to be really crowded. But we'll we'll be keeping an eye on the on the size and um, ask that people do um, it continue to adhere to some social distancing. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Chris Nordstrom. He's the communications director for the Mexico Senate Democrats in the Roundhouse. And Chris, I do have a question. Any difference between procedures between the Senate and the House that you're aware of? 
Not, not really. Um, um, as I said, you know, the roundhouse is open, but you know, one important thing to note is in, in some sense, this, this session will be the most open of any session because not only is the roundhouse open for people to come in, assuming mm -hmm. they're vaccinated, but you know, the last session, the, the building was closed, but the, the session was open via technology and that will continue. So if someone can't or chooses not to come into the roundhouse, um, they'll still be able to participate um, via Zoom, go to committee, attend committee meetings, have their voices be, be heard. You know, the, very, the details of how that works in each chamber might differ slightly, but uh, for the most part, the procedures are, are pretty much the same and both sides will be operating the same. Legislators will be um, attending in person, uh, you know, unless there's extenuating circumstances for health reasons, I believe um, all the legislators will be in person mm -hmm. on both in both chambers. Interesting points there. Um, this is the first session we've had since uh, the Legislative Council voted to ban firearms from uh, the Roundhouse. Not without controversy, we covered it a lot on New Mexico in Focus, certainly. Um, how would that change how people enter the Capitol building. Is there anything, a, a protocol set up for that now? Yes, there is. So, so that coupled with the, the vaccine check um, will definitely change the way people um, come, in, come into the building. I believe, uh, you know, some of these details are still being worked out, but I think the plan is that there will be four entrances to the Capitol. Um, so four different ways people can, can come in and when you enter, there will actually be two separate checkpoints. One will be the vaccine check, and then the second will be the security check. So there will be metal detectors and uh, potential bag, bag searches before you can actually come all the way into the building. Mm -hmm. Any backlash on this new protocol that you've been dealing with in the Senate side? What's been the, the reaction so far? On the on on both issues, I think for the most part, people are extremely supportive of it. I mean, we know that you know, COVID is still very much in control. Sadly, um, I think yesterday it was reported there there were 633 people in hospitalized right now in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, and while we have a good vaccination rate, I think we're just shy of 75% full full vaccination in the state. You know that. 25% unvaccinated is still a lot of folks. So I think in terms of safety for everyone involved, um, the rule is very much appreciated and I think a well accepted. Same for the, for the um, weapons ban. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, it is the world we're living in today. And I think for the safety and security of everybody in the roundhouse, um, it's important that we have this in place. Mm -hmm. Republican Chairman Stephen Pierce had a quote that uh, Santa Fe, New Mexican columnist Mylon Simonich quoted just a couple of days ago that basically said the progressive Democrats are once again trying to hide behind these protocols to keep the public's need to know at bay. Would you agree with that? Absolutely not. Um, as I mentioned before, I think in, in many ways, this upcoming session is more open than previous sessions in terms of um, access to the building, both physically and virtually so that you know it's 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 open transparent the public is invited to attend in whatever way they're able to and um i think it's it's 
going to make for a very um, transparent and open session. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's going to take in my mind's eye, you know, as someone who, like a lot of us, you know, try to get in the roundhouse during the session to do our work and stuff. I can imagine some pretty serious lines or some pretty serious delays, possibly at the start of committee hearing times. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be compromised here. How prepared is the Senate side for that eventuality that's, that, that it might be impactful on the, the, the clock, literally, of the day-to-day -day clock? Um, that's a very good question. And I think in some ways, the special will actually give us a little bit of a practice ground for the, for the regular session come January, because, you know, the special really is focused on redistricting. There's not a whole lot of, you know, issues. That doesn't mean to say that there won't be people interested in coming into the building. We certainly expect that. But I think for the special session, there probably won't be um, large crowds, I would just imagine. And so I think this will give us a good opportunity and chance to see, okay, how's the flow looking? Are there the right number of people in place to, to take care of the lines, et cetera? And then when January rolls around and, and more people are presumably coming in, I think those are considerations that will just have to be made in terms of um, start times and, and meeting times because we don't want you know, people stuck outside waiting in line and unable to attend a committee hearing that they're really interested in. Mm -hmm. Good point there. I hadn't really considered that. You're right. This could be a good practice run for uh, upcoming January. That's an interesting, interesting point there. Um, when do we expect the governor to make her a call determining the topics for the special session? Have you guys heard anything yet? No, uh, we're, we're waiting on the proclamation. And, and I think actually that it probably won't come until the day of the session. You know, while, while it's unofficial, everybody knows the session is going to begin on December 6th. And um, it generally starts at noon. I don't think there's any reason to believe that it would start any time other than noon. Mm -hmm. And so I think we expect the proclamation will come sometime the morning of the 6th, depending on the, the governor's office. And that's when we'll find out if anything else has been added beyond the redistricting work. Ah, I see. So just to be clear on that, it's this is not something the governor's trying to slip in. Of course, this is sort of standard way of doing things for a special but you won't know until the day of, of if there are additional topics to be covered. That's interesting. Does that include leadership? Does not leadership get a heads up on these things? You know, I think there's always discussions going on between the executive and legislative leadership. Yeah. Um, so there, there may be some inclination if there's other topics that's the, that are going to be, but until that proclamation is delivered, that's mm -hmm. when it becomes official and when we all know and the public knows what's to be dealt with during the special. Gotcha. Just a couple last questions here, Chris. Um, any sense of how long this special may take? I know that's sort of an impossible thing to sort of figure out to the day, but are, are leadership talking about that now? Are they prepared for a week, for a week and a half? What, what's, what's your sense of it at this point? You know, I, that, that's, the, that's the million dollar question that a lot of people are interested in, including a lot of legislators, I think. And, you know, the, the answer truly, Gene, is it, it all depends. Um, mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> redistricting is really important work that only happens every 10 years. And it's important that um, it get done and it get done right. Um, there's, you know, four different maps that have to be approved and voted on and sent upstairs. And so I think People are ready and willing and expecting to go until, until 
that those maps are headed to the governor's office. I think, you know, it's the holiday season. I think there's a lot of hope that we'll be able to get in and get out and, and get it done. But, you know, the important thing is, is to get it done. And if it takes longer, it takes longer. So I, you know, I could speculate. I have no idea. I don't think there's anyone anywhere in the building that could tell you how long, how long it's going to take. Fair point. Fair point. Well, it's important work, redistricting, certainly. We're all reading about what's happening in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but their redistricting struggles, it's, it's very interesting. We had The process to get us to this point, though, Chris, was really quite interesting. I, mm -hmm. I have to tip my hat to the folks that were on that you know, redistricting committee. You're, now that it's landed in y'all's laps, so to speak, I'd, I'd love to get a sense of how you felt their work was done. Did they set you up well to get a good result here? Yeah, I think I think there's pretty common agreement that that um, you know it's like a relay race, and the and the redistricting committee, you know, covered the first three legs, and now it's up to the legislator to get us across the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, a tremendous amount of work was done. I I, I agree, and I think that work is um, very much appreciated and res respected by the legislator. Legislature, um, you know, they've had meetings all across the state. There was a ton of input. Um, but, you know, their output is now the legislators input and, and it's up to the legislature to look at what they've done and make tweaks or changes or, you know, submit other ideas and get something voted on. But I think, you know, it's it's you're, you're right. And this is a new I probably most of your 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 viewers know this, but the registering committee is is new. It was something that was just brought in through legislation last year. And, um, you know, so it's, it is different from previous processes. And I think um, it will help the legislature get, you know, started not at, you know, ground zero, but quite further along than would otherwise be the case. Sure. You know, one of the things that was appreciated, of course, with the leadership of Justice Chavez uh, making this happen, it was very mm -hmm. non-political. It's now the real the baton has now been handed to a political body who has each side has its own agendas. Certainly, we understand how that game is played. How, in your view, is it is there any way to avoid the politics here? I mean, these are tough, tough, tough decisions that have huge impacts on political parties. What, what, what can the public expect? I mean, a tough fight, but a fair fight, a tough fight, but an unfair fight. How, how are you seeing this line up at this point? Yeah, I think, you know, like with any legislation, you're going to see rigorous debate and agreements and disagreements and, you know, compromises. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the vote that makes the decision, um, regardless of who's in what party and who votes for what. It's those numbers that 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 count. Um, so I think, you know, I think what people should expect is to to see uh you know, great debate. And at the end of the day, the legislator will vote on all the all four maps and send it up to the governor for her signature. Um, and we'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Chris Nordstrom, communications director of New Mexico Senate Democrats in the roundhouse. Of course, we're getting ready for a special session on redistricting in case, in case you didn't figure that out from our conversation. But Chris, thank you so much for this level of information. It's very much appreciated in, in, again, our role down here at New Mexico PBS to inform the public what the public does need to know if they wanna participate in our government process for special 
for this special session. So we really appreciate your time and efforts here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Gene. Right on. And folks, we will see you Friday night at seven o'clock. We've got a great group coming in, including my friend Kathy McGill. I haven't seen Kathy for a while. We'll discuss this and other topics then at seven o'clock. So we hope to see you then on Channel 5.1. Until then, stay safe. It's 60 some degrees out in December 1st. Enjoy it, I suppose. We'll see you Friday night. As with most things these days, there's a political angle to the changes at the Roundhouse as well. Most notably, Republican Party Chairman Steve Pierce, who continues to beat on his drum that uh, the virtual nature of the session, the vaccine, proof of vaccine requirement, is all the way for Democrats to hide from the constituents and the public. You heard Chris Nordstrom from the Senate Majority Leadership talk about that, address that. His take is that it's actually more open and accessible than ever because it can be a long drive to get up to Santa Fe for people. Weather can be an issue. Work schedules can be an issue. Because it's virtual, it's more accessible than ever before. And that is definitely true in order to watch and follow along. Participation, I think that's still up in the air around how many people what kind of participation? Is it the same in person? We've also talked a lot about the lobbying aspect uh, and how that differs uh, in a virtual environment. But we wanted to turn things over now to our line opinion panel for their thoughts on whether or not this is prudent policy or, as Chairman Pierce talks about, uh, something more political than that. And want to let you know who was on our line panel this week. A good one, and I'm going to tell you, it's a lively one. We'll have some of the line discussions in this episode and our next one. And uh, folks had plenty of passion, plenty of things to say. So Dan Foley, he's the former House Minority Whip. Uh, he joined us this week. Also Sophie Martin, an attorney, founder of Duke City Fix. And we welcomed back to the table Kathy McGill. Uh, and it's been a while since we've had Kathy. Always great to have her on as well. She wears so many hats, including with the New Mexico Black Voters Collaborative, the Black Leadership Council, she's the founder of that. Uh, so many things that Kathy does, and we always appreciate her opinion. So let's jump right into it now on the changes at the Roundhouse for the special session and beyond. Now that we know a little bit more about what will be different when lawmakers return to the Roundhouse, let's get some reaction from our line opinion panelists. This week I'm joined virtually by Kathy McGill. She is founder and CEO of the New Mexico Black Leadership Council. Attorney and line regular Sophie Martin is with us and former State House Minority Whip Daniel Foley joins us once again. So first off guys, we got some clarification from Mr. Nordstrom on those boosters I asked him about. As of now, they are not a factor in declaring someone fully vaccinated at least in this context. So Sophie, with all this in mind, are these mm -hmm. prudent precautions and how important is this once again to allow people into the Capitol to watch our public servants work? You know, there was never gonna be a perfect solution here. I, I mean, mm -hmm. COVID just doesn't allow for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me that uh, leadership has come up with a compromise that will allow people to come in through Zoom, will allow people who are vaccinated to come in in person. Um, it's unfortunate that there'll be the loss of the uh, the cultural displays and, and things like that, but, mm -hmm. but 
you know, this is the reality we're dealing with right now. One of the things that I thought was really notable, and I watch for this, I know a lot of people who deal with like, you know, events and the public and things like that, that, that sort of careful, well, today it's this kind of vaccine, that sort of thinking, but it could be that by the time we get to the legislative session that, that a third dose will be required. We're certainly hearing that on both the national and local levels. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I do see, I do see organizations saying we're just going to follow what's in place then. Um, and fully vaccinated is the term that folks are using. Mm-hmm. Good points there. Dan, I want to get your take on this. Um, you know, he just mentioned and others have this is the potentially the most transparent session we have had uh, to date in New Mexico, given it will be open to the public in person, as we just talked about, and virtually as well. Do you agree, Dan? And if so, how valuable is that for citizens? I mean, there's a lot of tough talk out there from some Republicans still saying this is a game to keep the public from getting this kind of information. Yeah, I mean, Gene, I, I appreciate you, you know, giving up the mantra of it's the most transparent legislative session ever. I mean, I, I don't know how it's any more transparent than it was when everybody could come and go as they pleased. Mm-hmm. It just seems surprising. I mean, they've been they've been doing the live streaming for a few years now and you could come and go. Listen, I, you know, this is a this is a typical, uh, you know, you look at this stuff where we where we are with the increased numbers of COVID in New Mexico, the fact that we've been in some sort of uh, hyper hyperpole when it comes to, you know, isolating ourselves, locking things down, social distancing, getting the shots, and we're still having these huge numbers. You know, it just, it does beg the question. And I think it's a valid question. You know, if you were, if you were to say, you know, as we've had this conversation on this show before about the guns in the Capitol, Mm -hmm. and we've always said, hey, listen, you know, people, the thought of people having guns in the Capitol, Capitol really, uh, it really calms it really prevents other people from stating how they feel and their thoughts and so that's a legitimate conversation there's no doubt that this is clearly when you start putting in policies like this and we all know that none of the stuff we're talking about whether it's shots whether it's masks prevents you from spreading covid it's just to keep you from dying if you get it it does nothing to keep me from giving it to somebody else so it's an individual choice that people make i've chosen I mean, to make no, nothing might be a little Dr. strong Foley there. in the house i mean yeah you know, really. There's, there's nothing, there's not anybody out there that says, there's not anything that says mask, get a shot, and you will not spread the disease. Doesn't, there's nothing that says that. If any of mm-hmm. you guys want to say no, this. No, but says, there's a, there's a, a, there's research that there is a decrease in spread, that people who have been fully vaccinated, there's, there's it's a lot less that, likely that they'll spread. That's and right. no so that that's what some, they're working on. There's been no doubt that there's been some conversations on both sides when it comes to that, but there's nobody out there saying that you should do this. So everything we're talking about is about me taking precautions for myself. But now we're going to impose these precautions on folks before they can attend these hearings, just coincidentally coincides with redistricting. Um, and, you know, it's clearly a shot. I think the Republican leadership is right. It's clearly a shot at limiting, you know, the people who we know what's, are part what's of What's being folks. limited, Dan? I'm curious in your mind. If you're not vaccinated, you can't come. And there's there's You can still watch. A, you can still watch. There's definitely. Yeah. Oh, of course. I, I, hey, I'm sorry. I just have to say, look. Just sit over there, Gene, and watch watch in the back corner because we know how every time they do the Zoom meetings, they work so well. They don't kick people off. People have been unable to to log on. There's nothing like showing up in person. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I just say, look, I don't go. Let me get get Kathy in here. Go ahead, Kathy. I'm going to finish my thought for a minute. before I hold on one second, Dan. I think that what you're saying is not. Daniel, hang on a sec, Dan. Everything that's here, the stuff that they're doing here is 100% to affect a certain segment of the voting population. And I just think that that's their goal. 
So I, I think that there's this core thesis that, you know, this is about uh, politics, but I think that it's about public safety and public health. And, and, and that's clear. None of us on this call are doctors. Um, and, and we can't make those equivocal statements that, that has just been made. Like we had, you know, someone saying it's not a COVID-driven policy. It was, uh, if it was the clear evidence of vaccinated individuals' ability to spread the virus would negate the reasoning for the rule. That is like, you know, there's so many things wrong with that statement. Um, it, it's not about politics. It's about public safety and public health. And I think that as long as we, we continue to try to promote that narrative, it's just about that core thesis that you have, that Democrats are out to you know keep people from coming, when what we know is, and I can prove it by me, it's like, it's hard for me to get up to the session, but this past year in the past session, even though it's been available for a long time, it wasn't really publicized, I was able to monitor a lot of things that I couldn't have monitored before. It has increased access to the information to the citizenry. And that is the truth. We can prove it by the numbers. And so saying these other things just is flat out not true. Yeah, it's just, it's 100% false you said. It's there, but you didn't know about it. it means it's there. It's been there. And, it wasn't you know, publicized. That they can't I, guess I, I got a couple more, I got a couple more the questions more here. more folks are going to be watching it online. Daniel, I mean, this, Daniel, is, this is purely Daniel, a partisan conversation. Daniel, come on now. Let's, let's, we got a lot of stuff to cover here. Sophie, let's go to firearms in the roundhouse. Sure. The first session where guns are banned from inside the roundhouse. This will mean checks for everyone entering the building, of course. Um, mm -hmm. Your sense of that in, in, in how that's going to work on the ground, as they say. You know, actually, uh, Dan touched on this a moment ago, and I thought mm -hmm. I thought he brought up what was an important element, which is that firearms can have a chilling effect on free speech and public speech, mm -hmm. and um, and they are also, you know, it can be a threat to the people who are there in the roundhouse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this seems entirely logical to me. New Mexico is not the first to have done something like this mm -hmm. and to have put this in place, and. Uh, um, I just would really question the person who thinks, oh, I absolutely must be able to be armed in the roundhouse when there is security on the outside, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to prevent all all firearms from coming in. Uh, you know, I would question the motivations of that person. So mm -hmm. so I think that this is a I think this is a rational step. And I, I think it it does serve to. Um, you know, to, to alleviate that chilling, potential chilling effect. Mm -hmm. Kathy, your thoughts on this too. Um, you know, I've said that on this show a lot, people have a right to their fear. They have a yeah. right, they have a right to it. And, and yeah. people who want to intimidate people for no good reason outside of politics, you know, you got to do something. Uh, your sense of it. Um, I think it's a rational step. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, as for me personally, um, I support it fully. Um, and I don't think that there's a reason why people need to have their guns uh, with them in a hearing. Mm -hmm. Daniel, your thoughts on guns in the roundhouse. Is it, what does it do to ban them in your view? I mean, it's, it's just it's just another grab. I mean, there's there's you know, we've had no problems with guns. Ten years that I was there, there's been no hostage taking, shooting, lockdowns. It's there's police everywhere. And, you know, it's just it's just we keep, you know, what, what we've done and uh, we continue to do. We've done it since we became a country. You know, we constantly give up rights and civil liberties all under the auspices of safety. Mm -hmm. And the, at the end of the day, we never get those rights and civil liberties back, right? We always are like, oh, we're, we're never that much safer. And it always seems to be, um, you know, 
a good way to appease individuals. Mm -hmm. Hey, so as we wait to see what's going to be on the agenda for mm -hmm. lawmakers, we know redistricting Dan brought up earlier is front and center. We've talked about the different maps here on New Mexico in focus, but will lawmakers seriously consider the guidance from the independent committee or should we expect politics to take over as I asked <laughs> Mr. Nordstrom? Well, the latter, right? right? The latter. But but I do hope and that you know and I and I hold out some some optimism some, some, some amount of optimism um, that the legislature will look really carefully at the work that this group has done. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, it's been impressive to see their outreach throughout the state. No process like this is ever perfect. Um, but mm -hmm. as I think I've said here before, I have a lot of confidence in the in the folks who have been leading this this program, mm -hmm. former Supreme Court Justice Chavez, et cetera. I think I think it will be. Um, I think it'll be a vigorous debate, and there are certainly a lot of entrenched interests. Um, nobody wants to lose their nobody wants to lose their their uh, seat, yep. um, and so now it comes back to the people whom this will affect their um, their power, their livelihoods, et cetera. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, no question there, uh, uh, Kathy. Same question there. It, it, you know, it's interesting when you think about you know how we approach these things. Why is it so different? this time around Has, have we not done a good job of making sure the public's going to be covered here um I, I think that that what we see from my vantage the new mexico mm -hmm. black voters collaborative um and new mexico black central organizing committee for the first time mm -hmm. really in the state's history had some testimony in the redistricting process and if we keep peeling back the layers what this is really about is having accurate counts in the census and how we don't really have that and it equates mm -hmm. to the lack of representation so we have to keep going back this is why i keep you know wanting people to get educated about what happened in 2020 with the census is going to affect us for the next 10 years and we actually this time have had an opportunity to weigh in on the process and talk about, you know, communities of concern mm -hmm. and uh, where we are located and trying to get, you know, accurate representation and accurate count. So I think that the reason why it's different is because it needs to be different. And people are trying to expand the public's ability to have some input in this process. Mm -hmm. Dan, real quick, we're under a minute, actually under 30 seconds. I got to get your take on this uh, for sure. Is it just going to be politicized in, in whatever happened in the, the in most, the, the most political thing you do in politics? I mean, right. Sophie's right. Are they going to look at it? Oh, they're going to look at it. But they're all working on the deal that's going to be best to serve them. Mm -hmm. To say we're going to take partisan politics out of redistricting, regardless of what party you're in, it is the most partisan political thing. And I just think people in New Mexico and across the country need to realize elections have consequences. And now's not the time to say, oh, the Democrats are going to get more seats. They are. They won. They've got the votes. If you don't want that to happen, you should have voted over the last few years. So it's the most partisan political deal, regardless of the party. I'm not blaming New Mexico Democrats. It's as partisan and political in Texas as it is here. And it's just interesting when you hear people on the outside, not Sophie, she knows, you know, Kathy, they, you guys know. But when you hear stuff about like, oh, we want this to be a nonpartisan deal. These guys are in the back saving each other's hide, figuring out who they want to serve up, mm -hmm. what districts they want to draw, what best represents the party elitist and the party faithful of both sides. And that's the, the plan they're going to come up with. Gotcha. We'll, of course, be tracking all the developments from the Roundhouse when the special session starts. You can watch my full in discussion with the Senate Majority, my fault there, with the Senate Majority's Chris Nordstrom on Facebook and YouTube for a bit more insight on that redistricting process. We're going to stick with the line opinion panel now and another political 
a conversation that hit the headlines this week and is interesting on a couple different fronts. Uh, it's one of the oldest political debates, at least in this country. That's church versus state and the separation of those two things. And the most recent flare-up over this has to do with a local church here in Albuquerque where uh, a pastor was uh, giving his sermon. And uh, this is one of the mega churches here in Albuquerque. And many people felt like he was flat out endorsing one of the city council candidates in the Albuquerque city runoff election, which takes place here in just a matter of days, which has led to all sorts of calls for removing the church's tax-exempt status uh, because they're not supposed to be politicking and all those kinds of arguments that you hear. Couple that with something we have been following here on the show for a while now, which is both on the on the local and the national stage involving the Catholic Church where some bishops have wanted to keep politicians who are members of the Catholic Church but may uh, support pro-choice policies from taking communion. And uh, this even went up as high as President Biden and the Pope has now basically come out uh, against the bishops, uh, not super strongly, but basically not condoning these politicians and, and not saying that they should be denied communion. Here in New Mexico, Senator Joe Cervantes has said that he's had the same experience here in New Mexico. So these are, again, an example of politics and religion bleeding together and where that's appropriate and where that's not. So no doubt you're going to have some strong opinions on this one as well. And we want to hear what the line folks had to say. Let's jump back into that conversation. Here is host Gene Grant. The intersection between faith and politics is becoming more of a flashpoint in recent months. After a discussion in the Catholic Church centered around President Biden and state lawmakers like Joe Cervantes, taking the sacrament at mass while publicly supporting a woman's right to choose. We'll touch on another example gaining attention here in New Mexico in a moment, but let's turn our panel first to what responsibility should religious institutions take when it comes to addressing individual political figures, either positively or negatively? Sophie? Well, you know, so the context for this is that um, Pastor Smotherman at a, at a local um, Albuquerque megachurch mm-hmm. um, made statements from the pul- pulpit or reported to have made statements from the pulpit in support of a city council mem- uh, candidate mm-hmm. who happened to be at the church that day and apparently tabled uh, in the hallway outside of the service. And, um, you know, that this pastor apparently was pretty overt in saying, you know, you should be voting for this particular candidate. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a formula that churches have followed in probably about the last 20 years um, of how they're sort of pressing up against the limits of the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment being, I think it's 1954, an, mm-hmm. an amendment to tax code that, that basically said if you're going to be a tax-exempt church or nonprofit, um, then you can't engage in political speech. And there's been a fair amount of pushback, as I said, over about the last 20 years. The, the formula that seems to be working for churches, and it, and it you know, it's interesting to see you know, how close Smotherman got to this is, you know, our church supports a particular law or a particular idea. Um, this politician also supports it, while this other politician does not right. be sure to vote your values. And that, that 
churches have kind of gotten away with that. Um, it's unclear to me whether that's because the IRS does not really have the resources or the, the temperament even to enforce the Johnson Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's, it seems to me that, um, especially with, with what we saw this week, actually, in the Supreme Court and the arguments regarding um, abortion rights, that there may be an increase coming of churches pushing up against the Johnson Amendment to see if they can actually uh, get their way on that, get that overturned. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting time. It's not just because of the, the you know, the Biden um, uh Catholic Church thing, but it's also this Supreme Court seems primed and has already shown that it's willing to provide additional um, rights, maybe not the right way to put it, but to be more deferential towards religion, uh, in particular uh, Christianity, than than courts in the past. Gotcha. Hey, Kathy, let me read you what uh, Pastor Smotherman was recorded saying in support of Lori Robertson. She's the Republican running against Tamil Feeblecorn to replace Diane Gibson. Interesting, quote, we need people like her, Robertson, sitting in the audience, as Sophie mentioned, on the city council to make sure this crazy guy they call mayor doesn't continue to push his agenda. Uh, Wow, I mean, if that isn't politicking, I don't know what is. You know, your sense of that in in sitting as a a churchgoer, would you appreciate something like that if if you were sitting in the the congregation? Um, You know, I would say that, my father was a, a pastor and mm-hmm. uh, kind of what he said was the gospel to many people that were sitting in the pews. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the same thing that's true here. And, um, you know, it just sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, all the other things that we're talking about here about how people are abusing um, their authority. And I think that this is a clear case of that mm-hmm. um, and that he knows it and is pretty defiant about the fact that I can do it if I want. Mm-hmm. That remains to be seen. Good point there. Uh, Dan, if there isn't any legal action following up on this, will this situation have a realistic impact on the outcome of the District 7 runoff? So uh, I, I got I to gotta tell you that I go to church there and I was there the day this happened. Ah, okay. I've known Smotherman for 30, almost 30 years now. Um, and, and I would tell you that his comments in church are going to have far less impact on the outcome of the race than the media coverage is going to have on his comments for the outcome of the race. I think that that's gotten, uh, you know, 10 times, tenfold, the number of people are, are talking about this and listening about this. And so... You know, I, I think that um, just like just like is a, a belief of mine with with capitalism and other things we've talked about. You know what? If people don't like what Steve Smotherman says in church, then don't go to church. Don't go to that church. And judging by the judging by the number of people that are attending his church, he's got pretty good supporters. So you know, it's not like we're lacking churches to visit in New Mexico, especially Albuquerque, New Mexico. So you know, I think at the end of the day, him saying that he's voting for somebody, him saying that the mayor's crazy, him saying that you know we need more people like this person on the on the city council. I think the reason you don't see a lot of work, in my non-legal opinion, on the with the Johnson Amendment is it's a very very tough. Uh, slope for those guys to go into any court and try to decide the intent of what somebody said, what the outcome was of what they said. And I just think it's, it's a difficult 
it's a difficult step for them. I think the day that, you know, a, a pastor gets up there and says, that person, don't vote for them, vote for this person. If you only vote for this person, you know, this is the things that are going to happen. I think that those are the people that are getting in trouble. Everybody else that's dancing around the whole, I'm for this person, that person's not doing what we want, all the scenarios we said, I just think the IRS is, it doesn't seem to be a, a, a fight that they've ever wanted to take up, and I'm not sure that they ever will. Really? All right, let me, let me read you. I see you both, Kathy. Let me just real quick. Um, the regulations are pretty clear on this, Dan. You've got to have a separate, you can't be doing these kind of things. Or, because these entities under the law are, quote, are absolutely prohibited from directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elective public office. That seems pretty clear, Sophie. I think so, too. Um, I will say that it goes beyond that the impact of the Johnson Amendment goes beyond someone speaking from the front of a church. Right. And it goes into issues of, of funding and in particular dark funding for political activity. Um, you know, churches under also under the Johnson Amendment uh, are not able to spend money on political campaigns or political issues. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you see this maybe most clearly, actually, amongst nonprofits where, say, the, they can't issues, the, right? the, NAAC, the NAACP, for instance, you can they're they've got their charitable arm and you can give money to their charitable activities. But there's a separate legal defense right. fund that that is not tax exempt. Um, because churches are not required to divulge who gives them money, if they are, you know, unencumbered by the Johnson Amendment such that they can spend money, which is considered speech in our political system, um, that 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 then becomes an avenue for for dark money that can't be tracked. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the real concerns about chipping away at the Johnson Amendment. We we focus on the speech of individual pastors or individual religious leaders, whether or not they're speaking on behalf of their church, whether they've crossed the line. But this is the dark underbelly. Mm -hmm. Kathy, I got to wonder if um, Miss if if the loser here um, has an, a, a legal case. You know, I, you know, Dan mentioned before, you know, it may not be as impactful as people were trying to make this out to be. But if she loses, might she not have an avenue to come back and say, you know what, the nonprofit status at this church right here really should be under question. I think if she has time to pick it up, maybe she would. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I would say, too, is that there are not a whole lot of people who are even aware of the fact that we have these runoff elections coming, haven't had enough people <laughs> voting. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's okay for us to be talking about it. Definitely, it's okay for us to be talking about this issue uh, more broadly, as uh, Sophie mentioned. And and I just keep going back to, you know, people go and, and read. Uh, there's a book called One Nation Under God, How Corporate America Invented Christian America. And uh, it talks about Christian libertarianism and how capitalism and, and Christianity have become inextricably bound and, and how pastors started uh, sort of doing these kind of things from the pulpit. So I think that, you know, we need to understand the context of how these things are happening, why they're happening, mm -hmm. and what the harm is. So, and just like Dan said, that if we don't like what Smotherman says, we don't have to go to church there. If you don't want to have an abortion, um, then you don't have to have one, but we don't necessarily need law saying that you can't have one. Thank you all for this discussion. It's been really interesting this week. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics the line covered this week on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. You can also watch our past Facebook Live interviews, including my chat about the upcoming special at the Roundhouse in Santa Fe.
One of the things I love most about doing this podcast is the ability to bring you some of the things we do throughout the week. Uh, you hear me talk about this about every week because we try, we try to get you all of the stuff we do, and we're trying to really expand beyond just a Friday night experience on your couch in front of the TV watching New Mexico PBS. Uh, we love also with the podcast that you can take us wherever you go and listen whenever you have a chance. One of the things that we do each and every week is spend a little extra time with our line opinion panelists, giving them an opportunity to just bring up whatever it is they want to talk about. Uh, it helps us warm up for the show. It helps us get into the groove from a technical side of things. It helps Gene and the line panelists get into the groove. And uh, it's always great just to see where the line panelists take us with what caught their eye this weekend. Uh, no exception this time around. Uh, everything from local athletics and the New Mexico, Bowl, New Mexico Bowl coming up to some of the areas hit hardest most recently by COVID-19. So a little bit of everything for you in this grab bag that we want to round things out with this week. We'll do that now by tossing it back to Gene and the line opinion panel. I'm Gene Grant. I'm here in the studios of New Mexico PBS with our line opinion panelists joining me on Zoom. We're about to record this week's show. But before we do, we'd like to warm up by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds. A lot of stuff out there this week. Line regular Sophie Martin, what are you thinking? What's on your mind this week for your one more thing? Well, you know, I was really struck this week by reporting out of um, Farmington mm -hmm. in the Four Corners region about the seriousness of the COVID infections up in that part of the state. San Juan Regional Medical Center has been at more than 220% capacity for wow. weeks. And as of Wednesday of this week, it was at 236% of capacity, which is not what hospitals and medical, um, you know, medical professionals are just sort of designed to deal with. Mm -hmm. And at this point, San Juan and DeBaca counties are basically jockeying for um, the highest percentage of hospital admissions per capita. It's really wow. bad in wow. both of those in both of those areas. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, the Navy is sending in a medical team, 20 doctors, respiratory therapists and nurses to supplement the disaster medical assistant team that was already there and is on its way out. My understanding is that the Navy group is going to be there on Sunday. This is dire. Um, and, you know, Farmington, Folks at the San Juan Regional Medical Center have been putting out the call. There's been good reporting in the Farmington Daily Times for the on this, but um, you know the, my heart really goes out to those communities, and and it's just a reminder. Even if your community feels safer to you, you know, we all have an obligation to take care of our neighbors and and try to create a safer environment. And this situation where critical care services are impacted. Um, you know, in, in the San Juan County area, you may not be able to get sort of standard medical services. Mm -hmm. It may be it may be that you 
you know, don't break your leg. Let's put it that way. Um, in, in much of the state, but certainly up there. That is, I had no idea. It was at that point. That's it's that's, very hmm. bad right now. Wow. Yeah. Do you have, do, Sophie? Yeah. Do you have a sense of where the state sits, sort of in in a whole? Was that part of your research as well? If it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, don't get me wrong here. But how are we doing with this? I would say that New Mexico, you know, when I look at, at numbers for across the country, mm -hmm. New Mexico is is really struggling. It's interesting because we do have a pretty high vaccination rate for right. first-time vaccines. Our, our booster rate, I think, is hovering around 21%, something okay. like that. Okay. Um, our our you know, our first two doses, our first dose, if you're Johnson Johnson, I want to say is in the mid 70s. Um, but something that I have been thinking about, and I am not a doctor, but it's, you know, this is what has sort of occurred to me as I've been following the news on vaccination and then the increase in infection rates here, is that um, New Mexico was pretty aggressive about getting people um, vaccinated early. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, many people are well over six months and and really ready for that booster shot and mm -hmm. our our booster shots are as i said are only in the in the low 20s and so um you know we hear nationally internationally that the the dynamic is we've got the delta variant we don't yet know about the new variant mm -hmm. you know what impact it's going to have it's just that it seems to be highly contagious but but we've got in new mexico delta variant is our predominant variant um, it's dangerous, it moves quickly, and combined with the idea that there's waning efficacy for many of the people who got their first two or first uh, dose of vaccine that mm -hmm. just seems nationally in here to be part of the dynamic. Mm -hmm. Interesting points there. Wow. Um, Kathy McGill, always good to see you. It's been a while. A while. What's your one more thing this week? Um, you know, one, one more thing. It's, it's great to be back. And mm -hmm. um, I have just one story that I was pumping gas at a, um, a station near my house. And this guy was looking at me and I was thinking, huh, this is kind of nice, you know, kind of nice looking man. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's like, but he started talking and finally he said, well, ma'am, I just want to tell you that I see you on uh, New Mexico in focus and we really love having you on there because you bring a different viewpoint. Nice. And I was like, he made my day. And so if you're Yay. watching, thank you. Yes. And um, I'm glad to be back. Um, and, and I guess my one more thing is uh, just about the conversation that we've been having about the, the proposed draft standards for New Mexico public education, social studies standards. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've been following that and, and, and commenting on how we believe it's really important in education, because I think some of the issues that we face in our nation could be solved if people had the accurate telling of American history and um, that we include the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that, you know, we just tell the truth about, you know, this is what actually happened in American history. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that we need to censor or filter for our children. We just need to know this is what happened. This is how we can analyze it. And hopefully this is how, uh, for those bad things, we can not repeat them in mm -hmm. the future. So mm -hmm. I just want to say that, that, you know, the social studies standards don't rise to the level of critical race theory and that's all you know a whole different conversation but that we really all of us need to be focused on 
education and making sure that we get the right education. And then I guess I would just say that, you know, we need to pay our teachers more. We need to uh, make sure our students really get a good education. Mm -hmm. And they'll get that by having the complete 360 degree analysis of what history actually is. Good points there. Kathy, I got to ask you as a follow up, we have some changes on city, uh, I'm sorry, our school board here in Albuquerque, and these issues were a big part of that for some of the candidates. What's your sense of how that's going to work out when you got school board members a little, I'm not sure if I could use the word hostile, or something towards this kind of education you're talking about? You're going to make me start singing. Da, 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 da. So, uh, you know, I think that what we have to do is just say, look, we're going to keep telling the truth, um, and the truth will out, and it's mm -hmm. a complete defense against things that are uh, ill-advised and uh, not based in fact. Gotcha. Good stuff there. Former State House Minority Whip Dan Foley, always good to have you, bro. What's your one more thing this week? Daniel? Sorry, I was on mute there for a minute. That's all right. Start talking without taking it off mute. That would just ruin Sophie's day for me to be talking without her being able to hear me. She's just waiting for those pearls of wisdom to come from we me. We all are, tell. absolutely. She's, she, <laughs> uh, you know, as is usual with all the heavy stuff that uh, Catherine and Sophie bring, um, we're going to talk sports. Sure. Uh, for my one more thing, new football coach at New Mexico State. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jerry Kill is his name. Uh, great reputation for rebuilding programs. Was the interim head coach at TCU, former head coach at the University of Minnesota. Uh, definitely time to clean house at New Mexico State. I think this is a great hire. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, we got the New Mexico Bowl coming up in a couple weeks. Mm. See who the teams are. They're going to be playing in that. Having our own bowl game in New Mexico has always been a, a unique. Uh, a unique opportunity that many states don't have. Mm -hmm. Some states have multiple games, uh, but many states don't have it for a state our size to have a bowl game. Again, it looks like it's going to be the first game on television, kicking off around 12, 12, 20, something like that. So it's kind of a great deal because it's kind of the start of bowl week every, every year, consistently every year, the New Mexico bowl has been one of the highest watched bowl games on television mm. under the national championship in the playoff of any of the bowl games. Um, and a lot of that has that. to do with it starts, starts, you know, it's the first game. It's the kickoff game. So mm -hmm. um, we'll know this Sunday. We should know this Sunday who the teams are. Um, looks like there's the potential we could have UTEP playing in it. Uh, could have Air Force, could have Boise State. So there's some good good opportunities for some teams. Uh, Fresno State's looking like a possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there's some opportunities for some really good uh, matchups this year. So, you know, get out, get your tickets, come to the New Mexico Bowl. It's a great, I, I got to give Jeff Symbieta and his staff credit. Uh, that whole pregame and the tailgate experience and the fan zone and the stuff they have set up for kids. And the tickets are really, I mean, talk about, you know, people complain all the time about cost of doing things. And mm -hmm. I, I agree. If you got a family, I mean, you can go sit, general admission, 45 bucks, get in for a family of four or five, see the game, have great seats partaking all the fanfare to start. It's a great Saturday event mm -hmm. uh, for a family that doesn't cost very much in New Mexico. It's the New Mexico Bowl, December 18th. I think it's like a 12, 10, 12, something between 12 and 1230 kickoff. If you haven't gotten your tickets, get them. It's a great show of support for uh, what, what's been going on in New Mexico for many years now. So mm -hmm. excited about that. Good stuff there. Appreciate that. Have to wrap that up there. Thanks for joining us. New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights and Sunday mornings right here on New Mexico PBS.
That'll do it for you for this episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. But we'll be back again on Monday with much more, uh, including part one of a very in-depth interview we did on a big story that has to do with a proposed merger between PM Public Service of New Mexico and Avangrid, which is the U.S. subsidiary of an international company based out of Spain called Iberdola. And it's not been without controversy. You may remember a few, a few weeks ago, we talked to a reporter up in Bangor, Maine, where Avangrid is already in existence, to talk to them about what their experience has been like. And it's been a little bit rocky, and, and we're going to uh, have some uh, some reaction to that interview in this interview with uh, some of the leaders of both PNM and Avangrid and, and get why they think this merger is so important to New Mexico and will actually pay off for customers of PNM here in New Mexico. We should also mention, and there's a link in the show description for that one coming up, that the PRC will have the final decision on this, the Public Regulation Commission, and they had a hearing this week and by all accounts, it was it was also rocky. So this is no way a done deal. It's complicated, it's messy, and but it's something that we feel like, uh, especially PM customers, should know all the details about. And if it does go through, there's that level of accountability uh, all the way through. So that's why we're doing this. We'll bring you part one of that next week, or in our next episode, sorry. And part two will be next week. So I encourage you to tune in. For that. Also, back with another passionate conversation with the Line Opinion Panel about uh, New Mexican and now Department of Interior Secretary Deb Holland. And she's making good on uh, something she tried to do when she was in the U.S. House of Representatives, which is basically to address the names of public places that uh, are holding on to language that is now culturally insensitive or derogatory. In particular, she's named the term squaw as uh, a term we need to move away from, which could affect the name of up to 650 places on public lands. We're talking valleys, creeks, streams, you name it. Um, This is a word that uh, can just mean for many Native communities, woman, but it also can carry derogatory connotations. And so that is why Secretary Holland is doing this. We'll get into that conversation, and it's a passionate one as well. And it was also the topic of an Arland episode that environment reporter Laura Paskus did earlier in 2021. We'll bring that to you as well, uh, which includes then-Representative Deb Holland and why this is such an important issue to her. So lots of great stuff coming up. We appreciate you, as always, for taking us with you on the road. Do us a favor, leave us a review, leave us a comment. Those things really help out. Let us know we're on the right track and let us know what you want to hear in an upcoming episode. We're on the fast sprint to the end of 2021, but we always love to hear what you want to hear about. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald. I want to thank the entire New Mexico and Focus team for all of their hard work, and we will join you again soon. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you.